my name is Jacob, and I am a Norse pagan, and welcome to episode 52 of the Folk Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about books, and we actually haven't had an entire episode devoted to books, but obviously they fuel a lot of our conversation. And I do have a lot of episodes uh, on the Wisdom of Odin YouTube channel about this, but I figured this would be a good time to talk about books I've added to this collection, um, also to go more in depth with the co-hosts as well. But we do actually have a guest who has been on the show before. We have Blade, or Babushka, as he is known in the community. Um, so he was here for episode five ever so long ago, nearly a year ago at this point. In fact, I think it, it is basically a year ago. Um, and since then, I think we, we talked about dreams. No, no, we, we talked about interpreting. Blade, you're here. What are we talking about? I can't remember now. Um, I, I believe we talked about, I think we just talked about trans work. That's right. Trance work and meditation was the episode we had you on. Yeah. Um, so we don't need to learn about your life. We already talked about your life, but we're here to talk about your life now and how it's changed because you have recently self-published your own book. And so what better time to bring you on than when you've written a book on our book episode. So you'll also be joining in on this conversation about different books. But I also, I kind of want to just know how was your process and creation of this book that you have written? Well, um, I started right in when I was in high school, whenever I first started to dive into like the Norse pantheon and what it means and what it represents. And I, uh, I think I finished writing the book a little over a year ago and I tried publishing it then. And I, I just couldn't do it. Um, most of I just kept getting like flagged on specific things. Um, but I ended up just, you know, rewriting the entire book and I reformatted it. And a couple months ago, I want to say a little bit in the beginning of June, I was, um, I was formatting and I was just redoing everything and I finally finished it and I sent it to Amazon and I was like, Hey, I wrote this. Do you like it? And they were like, I love it. And they published it. Uh, so what do you say flagged? What do you mean? So, um, the, the way I have the book written now is now the book is public domain. Whenever I originally did it, I accidentally put a copyright rule on it. And you can't put copyright rules on public domain work because that's what the North Pantheon is. And so I was getting flagged that I couldn't publish it because of copyright laws. And then I figured out, you know, what I did wrong. It was just my own stupidity. But um, once I made a public domain work, I was able to actually publish it. Right. And this is something I kind of recently discussed when it came to Loki and everyone was losing their mind over Loki getting, uh, you know, copyrighted. You know, a lot of people just didn't want to actually research really anything into this and they were just jumping to massive conclusions because of course disney's going to make a copyright and a trademark on their version of loki of course they are they're disney they're, they want to own what they create and the norse gods much like jesus is public domain and you can't actually own the norse gods you can own your version of the norse gods but not the actual gods themselves um so i think i remember i had someone look into it and like jesus alone has like 350 copyrights in uh in europe and so this is just something that happens uh but of course when you know you're talking about public domain law when it comes to the gods you can really do whatever you want so blade what um what, can you kind of give like a summary of really what this book is for anyone that might be interested and we should you should probably say the title because we actually haven't said that either I actually have a copy with me right now. Um, it's called Tales of the North of the Old Gods and Their Ways uh, by Blake Kirkland. Uh, I was going to put Babushka, but I felt like the mass public didn't understand that nickname. <laughs> and so I didn't really uh, put that in. But it's so 
the summary of the book is as a practiced Norse pagan, you come to realize that the faith and belief of the old gods comes from the tales told by their folk. Over the years, as the world became modernized, these tales became washed and turned into something other than the original tales they were, an amalgamation of retellings. These tales are dark, and they come from a place of pure wonder and mischief, not of long hair, bodybuilders, and magical elves. This collection of tales bring back the way these stories were meant to be told and instill the feeling that they were felt when they first heard them. When you hear thunder, Thor is watching. When you see Odin's ravens, he is watching. The gods have returned, and these are their tales. So essentially, you know, again, I've, I've read the majority of it. Um, it, it. And I don't know how you feel about me comparing it to this, but like Neil Gaiman did this as well. He basically took the stories we have, mostly in the prose edda, and he rewrote them in a modern, like, conversation, basically. And you've done something very similar to this. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I think the way Neil Gaiman did it was he added flair to the stories and turned them from, you know, these uh, stories that had kind of a concept and an ideal behind it into a story that you can really bite into and you can kind of learn something from a conversation that, you know, he instilled in the story, I feel like. Um, so uh, as far as like um, the process of creating this, so again, you self-published it. So how was that process for you? I mean, as far as getting everything together, how, how hard was it? How easy was it? Kind of, kind of how was that process? I think the, the hardest thing was just writing uh, because I wanted to do something that I brought, you know, honor to the gods. And I made, you know, I had the respect when I wrote it and, you know, it all just starts with, I had to write it and I do this weird process where I go into, uh, I write it as a Google doc. And then I turned it into like a Microsoft Word document, and then I'm able to upload it into Amazon directly. But um, I just had to go through the process of getting it approved by the Amazon, you know, reading team and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Co-host, do we have any questions for Blade about his book before we move into the main, top uh, main topic? Yeah, I got a quick one. Kind of goes into more of the, um, the actual... Uh, publishing process since you did use Amazon like when you say like the reading team because I'm looking into writing my own book I mentioned it back when we were doing the hell episode um <clears throat> what kind of like do you know exactly what process they are looking for whenever the, you do that part of it is it more of like a just a copyright thing or is it more of like a they just make sure that it's a, like what is their approval like process necessarily like based off of um, so the, the thing you, you don't go through Amazon directly. And I feel like I've been like really shrouded with saying this, uh, you go through Kindle direct publishing and it's a subsidiary of Amazon that Kindle is owned, you know, Kindle is now owned by Amazon. Um, but it's like a subsidiary company that they do all their publishing through and you have to like make an account on Kindle direct publishing and all this, uh, you go through, you have to read their policies and on the policies page, it shows what you can and cannot have in the book. You know, it has to be uh, longer than this, I think uh, like 20, 30 something pages. Cause you can write a book that had, doesn't have anything in it and get it published. Um, uh, just as like, I don't know why anyone would do that, but, um, but you just go through these policies and, you know, whenever they write it, you send it into them. And they'll say that uh, Amazon's reading team is going to read through your book and it basically will go through your book and to see if it can flag anything that might come off as 
you know, a copyright, something someone else has wrote. I think they search through the internet to see if you're not plagiarizing anything. And whenever everything goes through like AOK, you'll get a notification saying that your book is now live on Amazon. And you can upload like a specific cover. Uh, you can make a cover on Amazon, which is what I did for the first one. And uh, um, it's just this little like cover maker on the website. Or you can just uh, go through like a side company and have like hire somebody to make a cover for you. But it's it's a pretty easy process nonetheless. So this is something I actually plan on talking about in, a, in an upcoming video is the importance of storytelling. Um, and I think it is very important for us to record and share down our stories because this is something that I know we all wish we had um, with looking into this faith in the past is am how amazing would it be if just one normal everyday person in Iron Age Scandinavia wrote down their daily practices or kept a journal of what they went through as a practitioner of this faith in the modern, like in the past eras, like that would be invaluable to us now, but we don't have one, you know, the best we have is the prose and poetic edda, which were written 200 to 300 years after the fact. Um, so, you know, it's crazy. And I think it's, it's very important for us now to record the stories and experiences that we have um, and what, how we see this faith. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily make us, you know, like scholars of the faith, but it makes us people and, and sharing our stories. And I think that's so important. I definitely agree with that because even when you look at uh, Christianity, there's definitely the storytelling aspect of like the early Christians, how they'd meet in the secret, the different symbolisms they had to hide their faith. Uh, and we know this because it's recorded by the monks and different things of like that from to storytelling. Uh, but to kind of go back to you, Blade, I want to know in your first book, because I've read it, which story did you have the most fun writing out of this first part? I honestly think my favorite story uh, that is, you know, of like Norse mythology will always be the gift of the gods. You know, the story where the uh, dwarves made like Mjolnir, uh, Gungnir, and all the gifts that they gave to the gods. That's my favorite story to write because you can either do that story so right or you can do it so wrong. You know what I mean? Um, so moving forward, I know you're planning on writing another book. Uh, can you give us any idea of what you're kind of planning for this one? Because from what I understand from the conversations we have, it's going to be a little bit more your own voice, so to speak. Yeah, so the uh, Tales of the North of the Old Gods and Their Ways, Volume 1 is what I'm going to change the name of the first one to, uh, is basically my retelling around a fire of the old tales. You know, it's the kind of stuff that you would tell your kids when they went to bed, and it's the kind of stuff you would tell around a fire when you gather around with family, friends. Um, but the second book, which is going to be Tales of the North of the Old Gods and the Ways, Volume 2, is going to be tellings of stories that I've written. And it's going to be, the stories are going to be based off experiences that I've had as a Norse pagan, and they're going to be experiences um, of the lessons that I've learned from the gods. And I think... Uh, always want to make sure I always say that whenever I writing this, I'm definitely not speaking for the gods in any ways. I'm just speaking for the lessons that they have given me and the stuff that I have learned, you know, being a practicing pagan for the past couple of years. I think it's one of the really important, really important things. Now I, I didn't expect this conversation to, to roll into the very beginning, but I do want to bring it up. So Sherd actually has a book that um, when he purchased it, 
you know, he kind of shared it with us and I was like, Ooh, that's got some warning signs. So um, as far as warning signs, what I mean is there, you know, it's the honesty, you know, it's the, you know, like with Blade here, he's talking about sharing his experiences and acknowledging that they're his experiences and it's just a way for him to share it. There is, there is one thing that I caution people on when they dive into Norse pagan books, because there's a lot of them now, because anyone can publish a book. And it's the people who think they are like gurus of the faith, the people that think they have the right way, um, the people that they assume that they have the will and power of the gods, that the gods whisper in their ears. And sure, happened to buy one of those books. And one of the things that right away, I was like, ooh, that's kind of a red flag for me, is that the very bottom of the book says, become a living god. And it's like, hold on. So you're writing a book about, you know, what is it like Vitki and shamanism, I think is like the main subject, right? Yeah, I have it in my hands. It's a Viking grimoire of Norse sorcery is what it's called. I mean, it's it's a beautiful looking book. Uh, it actually sells a lot higher than what I bought it for. I got a good deal on it, which I'm glad because I really don't read it. Yeah, because this thing was <laughs> what, like, it's normally priced at like $74. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's outrageously high price for what you're getting. Um, and, it, you know, it goes over their, how they do their rituals. And I've, I've shared it with most of you, especially Ian, uh, with the uh, hell stuff that was the, the satyr and the hell magic. And, like, it made Ian want to rip out his hair. What little he has left now. Yeah, and it's like... You know, it's one of those difficult things. Like when Ian and I talked about the Fenrir episode, we never want to tell someone how to practice this faith. You know, ultimately it's your faith. You can practice it how you want, but there are things that others have learned along the way that we have learned along the way. And all we can do is caution you and share with you our experiences. And so this is really just us saying like, hey, there's a lot of books out there and not all of them are helpful. And you shouldn't take, I would honestly say you shouldn't take any book written in the last 100, 200 years to 100% truth. Because no matter what, people will inject their own personal viewpoints in every book. If I write a book about Norse paganism and heathenry, it will have some of my personal viewpoints in there no matter what. It's just how this works. And some books are 95% personal viewpoints and a little bit of actual faith-based stuff. But it, it, there tends to be a balance, you know, I'm not going to say every, you know, there are some books that are 100% off limits because we're not, that's not what we should do. You know, we book burning is bad. We've seen that in history and book banning is bad too. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we don't proceed with caution on certain reading materials. Well, definitely. I mean, because like, like I'm showing on the podcast, because like we're not, uh, it's like the hell's right of initiation and this person that wrote the book claims that this is the symbol that hell gave them to do Seder work. And even though they're shaking his head, uh, you know, who I don't believe it. Who's to say if it's true or not true. And then this guy, maybe he got somewhere or something along the way, but uh, not to the extent he's, he believes. But, you know, like you're saying, caution I bought this just to kind of thumb through it because I, I love the way the book looks. Like I said, it's a very beautifully designed book. Yeah. Even like the pages are really beautiful. Um, but yeah, you got to be careful what, what you buy and what you read. And you're, I always put my experiences before reading a book personally, because I know what I felt is real. And I, 
you know, you can get some good information out of books, but at the same time, if it's a wrong book, it can hurt you. Right. And it's like, so like, uh, like when you purchase this book, I think I was just like, Hey, here's where, here's my concerns. Feel free to read it. You know? And that's really all we can say uh, because I looked at the website where the author is like kind of stationed out of, and it's all basically snake oil salesmen. Like there are straight up some people in there that were trying to sell like, you know, experiences on how to astral project yourself to like all the realms. And it was like, pay us $350 uh, every month for six months. And we'll teach you how to astral project to Muspelheim. And it's like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he gives us closing thought. And I think the person who wrote this is his dad was more Norse pagan and he is, he's more of the living God people. Yeah. Which is more like and, cultism. Yeah. It's more of a cult, definitely more of a cult. Uh, but you know, if you want a pretty book that looks pretty in your collection, this is definitely one that adds to the prettiness. Yeah, well, it better be for $74. Well, like, I didn't pay $74. Well, yeah, but like normally it goes for $74. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a $74. Uh, I use it as like a book bookkeep. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's... Yeah, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that has taken me uh, a bit longer to even really take my first steps into writing my book about hell is because I know that a lot of it basically will be from my own personal experience. And I want to make sure that I... I do it right without injecting, you know, becoming that, that 95%, this is all of my bias opinion, which is why I want to try to get a couple other individuals that I trust with their experiences and stuff like that without involved and get their stories on it. So it, it kind of branches it out a little bit more. So it's not specifically just from my own experience, because my experiences could be very different from the other individuals that I know, um, who work with her and who I've already kind of briefly talked about, you know, I want their opinions on it and then to help with the book. But yeah, it's one of those things you gotta be really careful with. Um, so before we move into like the more positive, happier side of this, of good books um, and books we recommend, um, one thing I will say is again, like, you know, I'm not about book burning. I'm not about book banning. I'm about book understanding. And one of the things that, you know, I always think about with this is would Odin ever ban a book? Would he ever tell you not to seek wisdom from every place you can get? No, I think Ode would really encourage you to gather wisdom from all corners of life. That's what he did. But that doesn't mean he believed everything he read and doesn't mean he took to heart everything that he gained and not all of it was useful. And you're going to find the same thing when you go through books. I mean, fuck, I, I'm personal at this episode, I tell you. Um, you know, I, I have 40 books in my collection at this point. I, I think maybe 45. And do I think all of them you know, do I believe 100% of everything they say? Of course not. I mean, shoot, you got the prose edda. I don't believe everything the prose edda says, and that's one of our main source materials. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. Just proceed with caution, keep an open mind, uh, but also be you know be cautious at the same time. Uh, but on that, I think we should move into books that we do recommend. Um, and then, of course, I think hopefully anyone reading listening to this podcast or following the wisdom of odin videos know that they should probably just get a poetic and prose edda because those are the best books to get right off the bat if you're going to get two uh are there any other books that you guys think are go-to books that like should probably be some of the first purchases for people getting into this faith for the first time uh, one of the books that you recommended actually in your video the tacitus one is a really if you want to get like a historical founding for the faith and the kind of comprehend yeah can that yeah task this right there uh 
Germania. Yeah, Germania. I have mine somewhere. Um, that one is a really, really good book to really tackle the historical aspects of the faith and like where it was rooted. Um, here, just before we dig any deeper, I was trying to wait because there was wild stuff happening in the house. Um, but Babushka, um, how how long before you think you'll be done with your uh, your second book? Um, I was trying to ask that before, but it was loud here. Um, I I honestly think at this point I'm about halfway done with it. It is uh, it's definitely you know been a challenge for me to be creative in my own sense because I don't really think I'm that creative of a person. Uh, and so I'm just trying to, you know, with the stories that I have, I'm just trying to be respectful and uh, not basically just like pump stories out as fast as I can in order to get this thing published. But I am hoping to have it at least published in December. As long I'm really looking forward to that one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, sure. No, I'm, I was just going to make a comment and be like, just don't George R. R. Martin me, man. I'm still waiting on winter. <laughs> Like I'm still waiting on that book. So you, if I'm willing to wait years, you're good. That's also like a 700 page book, though. Probably. I don't know. The reign of theory, actually, as far as like this goes, is that he finished it, and then something happened to the save file before he could print the book. So now he's got to go back to oh, rewrite it. Man, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's that's the always common. keep backups, kids. Well, he, he writes on an old, 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 like 70 models computer. What? So, you, yeah, that's how he writes, dude. And, like, he, you can't back that up. So, there's the thing right here. I just happened to see this year the other day since we're talking about George R.R. R. Martin just for a second. Um, so, anybody that ha that's done any, or that knows about, like, FromSoft, the people that made Dark Souls, stuff like that, they're coming out with a new game called Elden Ring. And they got George R.R. R. Martin to make the world basically make the background for it and yeah. people were upset because they're like he'll do anything to keep from finishing his own freaking story <laughs> a lot of people think it's gonna have the same uh thing as uh when when tolkien died the cimmerillion you know after he died the cimmerillion was published we're thinking that's gonna happen with, with game of thrones well i mean you know george R. R. martin published instead of i think uh the last book of game of thrones he published and i do have it back here somewhere fire uh, and blood yeah fire and blood you know i started reading I that, it. and it's, a, it's like it's an amazing book but i tell you what the only thing that i don't understand how he writes these stories because so i'm about halfway through and it's literally just tactics yeah, and that is it. <laughs> yeah, like well, he, uh, fire and blood. I, I know this is a way off tangent for what we got. Thirty more do. seconds of Game of Thrones talks, boys. Okay, all right. Well, fire and blood was written by two of uh, his biggest fans who also helped him, and they actually fact check his work for him because it's such a big story. Uh, but there's your Game of Thrones tangent. And, as I said, I'm still waiting on winter. No if you if you ever if you ever listen to this podcast, I'm still waiting on winter. Five more seconds. All right, and that's it. All right, Game of Thrones season eight sucked. All right, moving on. Damn, I was going to use those last three seconds to say how much I loved Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last season was garbage. We all know that. All right. Anyways, no, uh, no rebuttal. Yeah, no rebuttal because that's truth. Okay, so um, Ian, what are some of your favorite books? So some of mine, I've well, mentioned... Well, actually, what is... You have one book, you know, besides the pros of Poetic Edda, you have mm -hmm. one book you can recommend to somebody. What do you recommend? Uh, I mean, I've brought it up before a couple of different times about the podcast. Um, I have it right here. Um, it is uh, 
Northern Mysteries and Magic by Freya Oswin. Um, I, I really do like this book. Um, it, she goes into a lot of detail. I mean, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier is when she writes about something, she definitely gives you that heads up of like, hey, this is my opinion. This is, you know, compared to also, this is what we know and what other individuals, um, you know, collectively have agreed upon. And then she will very, very clearly say, this is my personal opinion. This is my personal experience. It will not be the same as yours. She's very good about putting that out there. Um, you know, especially a lot of it is about the, uh, the first half of the book is about the runes and, you know, there's certain things that she talks about, uh, with the runes that, uh, you know, are different from a lot of things that you may find in just a normal rune book, because I feel like to a certain degree, a lot of the books that we have that are strictly about the runes, I feel like primarily come from uh you know the very little that we know about and then people try to flesh that out without having the full understanding about it so it's more of almost like a history lesson to some degree at least the ones that i have read with her you know she implements the actual you know practice of using them and things like that into it um you know as well as throwing in her own personal beliefs about some of them compared to other individuals that she has talked about or you know she refers to them as her colleagues um but yeah it it's a really, really, really good book. Uh, very easy to read as well, because I know it, a lot of these books can be pretty dry depending on what you are getting yourself into and looking into. But yeah, it's I highly recommend this book to anybody. I would say it's not necessarily a, a starter book, but I think it's one that I think everybody should have in their library at some point. Baker? Um, we didn't get to you on as far as uh, what's one book you would recommend to somebody right off the bat besides what has already been mentioned. Uh, I'm trying to find the name of it because it's the book that I was given by um, by Mary um, when we went back to the um, original gathering house and I have misplaced it somewhere here at the house but it was from she got it from uh, the, I believe it was the Smithsonian whenever they brought a uh, a bunch of actual like Viking artifacts, stuff like that over from Scandinavia. Um, and they were doing like a tour around the US or they were doing a tour like just with the Smithsonian. I uh, cannot remember what the book is called, but it's it's really big. Um, it's probably the biggest book that I own. Um, and you lost it? A lot. I misplaced it somewhere. <laughs> I have a key. And I've got people, I've got, I've got stuff to get moves around a lot. And it, it probably got set somewhere and had something put on top of it. My kid grabbed it, unfortunately. But uh, whenever I've, I will try to do my best to find the name of it because uh, I probably took a picture of the, the cover because I didn't know she was giving it to me at the time. I thought she was just showing it to me. So I was going yeah, through like taking pictures of everything. Yeah, because I remember looking through that one because uh, I, was, I was at that gathering and I remember I found like uh, that image of like a berserker because I also mm -hmm. found that ring that I was trying to find like that image on, like, where did this, where's this uh, symbol from? And I found it in that book. So yeah, I remember it was, it was quite, it was a beefy boy. It was a huge book. Yeah, I, I really like it. I'm just, I do not know what I did with it at the moment. I, it, honestly, I think I took it, I think I brought it, I usually bring it to the gatherings with me since I got it. So I can use it as like a reference or, you know, somebody is looking for a certain symbol or something like that, I can find it. Because uh, there's a lot of like the pictures of the petroglyphs and things like that uh, from like the Iron Age uh, Scandinavia in there. 
but I mean, to, to piggyback off that, essentially a good history book, I think is a yes. really good one. Yes. As soon as um, I find the name of it, I will pop, I'll, I'll make sure to <laughs> pop it in here. Uh, Blade, what about you? What's one book you would recommend to people on the streets that have not been mentioned already? I am a massive sucker for storybooks. And I came across this one at Barnes and Noble one day. And it's just, it's this massive like Norse mythology storybook and it's just called Norse mythology tales of the gods sagas and heroes and it what's was the, the first uh, what's time... the author of publishing company because there's a lot of books titled that so it, it was published by um Arcturus Holdings Limited don't know what that is but the authors are um it is Abby Farewell Brown Sarah Powers Bradish and then Mary Litchfield and a few others but I don't know their names um and it's like this massive storybook that not only goes into, you know, the general stories of Norse mythology, but the kind of stuff that's in the poetic edda as well. Um, it has like physical representations. Like one of the first stories is the, you know, the introduction chapter of the book. And it has a diagram of Yggdrasil and where the nine realms would be in accordance to that based on like mathematical charts and uh, charts charts. Charter. and uh <laughs> based off like mathematical charts and like charts i said again uh in like star maps and it's just it's a beautiful book it's a really good read it goes into incredible detail on the stories i love it nice um so last thing i would uh i will recommend um for sure in this in this first section here is uh something i've recommended a million times and if people don't own this book and they watch my channel you aren't listening to me because you need it. <laughs> and it's uh, Myths and Symbols in Pagan Europe by H.R. Ellis Davidson. Seriously, I've recommended this thing probably in like 15 videos. Um, this is the first book. I honestly will say this book did more for me in my early pagan days than the Poetic and Prose Edda. Um, like I read the Poetic Edda and I don't think I really digested it properly, you know, five, six years ago when I first started this path. But um, this book was actually at the University of Kentucky Library and they had one copy and I remember checking it out and read it and just immediately, I think this is when I started feeling connected to gods because it made sense. What this book does is it bridges the gaps in our knowledge between Germanic, Celtic, sometimes Slavic, and Nordic knowledge. So it pulls in the Poetica, the Prose Edda, a bunch of sagas, Germania, a bunch of Celtic animals and things like that, and just all these little stories to build a bigger picture of what we know about the sacred North, at least in the pagan era. And so it's only about 300 pages, actually a little bit less than that, about 250 pages. And it really is, it does a great job of introducing you to what we actually know, um, which has really become a backbone of what the channel stands for now, a lot of what my, you know, my viewpoints are personally. And you can really look into this to see where you should go next, because it has so many different mentionings of different sagas. Without this, I wouldn't know about Eagle Saga, which was another like rabbit hole I was able to go down and get like the Icelandic sagas and Eagle Saga. Um, so yeah, Missing Symbols in Pagan Europe, highly recommend. Now, gentlemen, I figured, oh, Baker, what you got? I found the name of the book. All um, right. Yeah, it took me, I had to look, on, look in on the thing to see, because I thought I recognized like the uh, front cover. But I believe it's called Vikings, uh, the North American Saga. And it was a, uh, a special thing that was run by the Smithsonian to mark the thousand year anniversary of uh, when Vikings made it to um, North America, basically. Oh, interesting. Uh, it, yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to see what else there was on here because oh yeah, this comes straight from like the the Amazon thing for it. But it says like to mark the thousand year anniversary of the first settlement of Viking explorers in North America on the coast of Newfoundland, Canada, Smithsonian Institute as well has mounted large expedition now touring Canada, United States, and this is basically just it's a big compilation of all kinds of uh, artifacts, things like that, uh, all going over uh, basically the Vikings that they, well, everything they did in Britain, Northern France, uh, and United and North America. And it even has some things in about Greenland, Iceland, and Russia. Nice. So honestly, I think what would, honestly, I think what this, rest of this podcast really can do is just do another round one book recommendation each um i feel like this would be a good thing at least until the very end maybe have a few more talking points but uh yeah i think we just keep doing that so sure what's another book recommendation you have for people uh if you're wanting to learn the runes this one is like more for divination and stuff it's actually one uh that was recommended to me by autumn in the discord it's called a little bit of the runes an introduction to norse divination by cassandra eason this little small pocketbook, it, it it does a decent job like describing the runes and stuff. I haven't used any of the divination practices in it because, you know, as I said in the last episode, I'm just not learning the runes. So that, that's my little tidbit there. Nice. Baker, you got another one? Uh, yeah, give me just a second. I'm trying to decide between a couple. I got you. Ian, what do you got? So I'm currently reading one that you actually recommended to me, Jacob, uh, back at the original gathering house that we, at that point, uh, the misfilled path, the Celtic. Oh, nice. Nice. I am currently reading that right now. And honestly, yeah, it is. I think it's a good one just for people, I would say a little bit further on in their practice. And especially, I feel like there's a certain point once you get into your practice where you've learned to like you kind of hit like that block where like you you think you've learned everything that we have readily available based off of Norse stuff and a lot of it tends to I feel like start to repeat itself um so it's very rare to find something that's a little bit more you know unique or different or specific um and especially if you're looking more towards the shamanistic practice and stuff like that and trying to get into that deeper way of practicing um I think this is a good one to look into because it does obviously I mean, you have read it, you know that it, it dives deep into more of the shamanic practices of stuff. And it, I don't know, it's, it's so far, I've only gotten a little bit into it um, as of right now, but I enjoy it. I think it's a good one to have in your collection at a- you know, I really like, enjoy how the, uh, the author or the narrator, I guess, like describes religion in general. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I think it's a really good book that should make its way into your library at some point in the future. I don't think it's one of those, you need to have it right away. I definitely think it's one of those books where once you get a little bit more practice and deeper into whatever you may be doing, because who knows, you may not want to go down or like look into more of the shamanic stuff, which is totally okay. But if, I think it's a good recommendation later down the road. <laughs> As a, um, you know, a bit of an Odin guy, uh, I'm, I would recommend, you know, the Wanderers have them all by Jackson Crawford. Um, I think that is just an amazing uh, version of the have them all to read because he has the original Old Norse translation in there. And then he has kind of like his, uh, you know, modern interpretation of what, you know, the stanzas represent. Oh, the cowboy have them all. 
No, just the the Wanderers one. Oh yeah, yeah. But I think there's the Cowboy have them all is actually in there as well. Oh, it is. I'm dumb. Yeah. No, I think that one's a. I mean, honestly, that's a really good like introduction to Old Norse, really, because you can kind of self-translate a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't have. There's not a lot of old. I think there's only like one or two Old Norse textbooks that are readily available, and um, so this is a really good introduction. You know, you obviously can see like Deifa, Deifa, and the you know like Deifa Sial and Sakama or whatever it is. So you can see that really easily. Um, so yeah, I really, I really like the Wonders Hovemol as well. Um, so another book I would re- really recommend, and this is something I was mentioning before the podcast started, uh, was The God's Own County, a heathen prayer book by Dan Cutlass and uh, the Heathens of Yorkshire. So I really like this book. And actually, I've loaned it to Baker, whose child then spilled a milkshake or a smoothie on it, but you cleaned it up really darn good. So you can barely tell it's been uh, been almost destroyed once. Um, but I really enjoy this. And it's uh, something I actually, Ian, I showed you when you were over at my house and stayed the weekend is um it, it's honestly a really good reference guide for someone getting into the faith for the first time if you don't know how to start a ritual because i think even reading these pre-made prayers is a really good way to go ahead and start that connection because they are well researched i mean all the prayers are actually based on something we know historically and then they are given some more flourish some poetic style and certain deities have more information than others um you know some only get one poem, some get multiples, you know, Odin gets several different poems because there's so much about him and so many different aspects you can call to, where someone like Forseti will get one poem and it's barely anything. Um, you know, like Kvasir, they have Kvasir in here, but again, it's a super small poem. Like here's the poem to Kvasir, it tells you. Hail to Kvasir, wise of the gods, binder of the Aesir and the Vanir, their combined knowledge mixed at every one, every core, none amongst gods and men no more. Of the way things are or have been, great ancestor of poetry, we thank you for your sacrifice, hail Kvasir. It's simple, it's easy, um, and I think it gets you in that right, uh, the right rhyming, you know, phonetic, so to speak. And here's, uh, I want to read this one just a little bit because I find it hilarious and I want this to happen one day is I want to read this. They have like a drinking song called Thank God It's Yule. And I think it's really funny because it uses a lot of like, just like a lot of comedy and a lot of repetition so it can be sung in a really fun way. Um, So here's kind of how it starts. Bring me more meat, bring me more mead. We'll tell tall tales and boast of our deeds. We will eat our fill and act like fools and thank the gods it's Yule's. Uh, here's to Ingvi Fair, the Lord of Feasts. He'll will soon be devouring your sweet roasted beast, your boar at your side, your ship in the dock, and would uh, and who would should forget your massive grate? Bring me more meat, bring me more mead. So they kind of like, obviously that was meant to say cock, but it stops. You know, your ship in the dock, and who can forget your massive grate? And then you start singing again, bring me more meat, bring me more mead. You know, <laughs> like, and all, it has like a bunch of those like that are just really funny rhymes. Um, so like in talking about Aegir, it says your mead keeps on flowing. We're really in luck. If we keep it up, we'll get too drunk too. bring me more meat, bring me more meat. And it goes out again. So I really appreciate that fun side of it. I mean, this is a conversation I've had many times is that, you know, it, this faith is a weird balance where, you know, we take it so seriously because it needs to, it's a faith, but also I forget we have to forget to have fun with it at times. Like this is at the end of the day is the religion of the Viking people. It's a religion of people that like to drink. It's a religion of people that like to bang and they don't like to live life because they lived in a very harsh part of the world. And so they, I think they really cherish 
the good parts in life. It really taught them to cherish those things. And so I, I think in this faith, we, we often forget that it should be about community. It should be about having a good time. And it should always be books and everything like that. However, we're talking about books today. So that's what we're going to continue to talk about. Yeah, um, as soon, oh. No, go ahead, Ian. Uh, so yeah, as soon as I remember, yeah, as soon as you had showed me that book when I was at your place, um, I, yeah, I ordered it right away. So I have a copy of it as well. And one of my favorite things, like, uh, I guess it would be a, it's a, yeah, it's a ceremony is how they titled it um, towards the back of it. Cause it covers, you know, yeah, the Yule song and everything like that. And then it covers uh, marriage ceremonies, funeral ceremonies. Uh, but then also my favorite one is a, a naming ceremony for a child. Um, and Honestly, I, I love the entire structure and the entire concept of how they have it laid out. And, you know, it's, it's something that I could very much see myself doing if I have children in the future is, is doing something like that. Because not only is it a, you know, your name is a big deal. You know, if we, you know, a lot of people don't really necessarily think that, but it does. It, your name can potentially carry a lot of weight behind it, depending on what you do with your life. Um, you know, and to kind of bring back like a bit of a sacredness to names and, and part of the ceremony, just kind of going off the top of my head from what I remember, um, you know, not only are you naming this child, you are also, you know, picking, at, you know, one to two people, if not more individuals that are close to the mother and the father to essentially be that child's spiritual teachers of the old ways and stuff like that. So it almost, you know, takes a more pagan aspect of, you know, a godmother or a godfather kind of a concept, but it's not necessarily just that it is a, you know, they are these people you are picking to help shape that child's, you know, spiritual path as their teachers, whenever they're old enough to, you know, kind of start doing that stuff. And I think the whole thing is just, it's beautifully written. It's a beautiful idea, I think. And it, it, it has a lot of power behind it. Like when you read it, you know, at least when I read it, you know, I could feel the weight of what that whole ceremony is doing. And I really think it's something that, you know, not as I should be brought back, but I think to a degree, I think, you know, people should. There is a heavy emphasis on the faith-based aspect of this, which is very yeah. rare in a book. Yeah. So one thing that's really cool is that actually uh, this, the author of this, um, Dan, actually reached out to me and I'll be doing a review on YouTube about his two new books, which I'm really excited for. So he's going to be sending me a copy of those. And I think he's also going to be doing like a video excerpt as well to answer some questions that I have for him. Um, but he's kind of tied to the um, also like Tree UK, which I ended up doing like a, a, a video moot with where I was like kind of a, a guest speaker, so to speak, about a year ago. Um, and I ended up just answering the questions, uh, which was a lot of fun. I think there was like 15 or 20 of them in there and they're all really incredibly, you know, British and Scottish and Welsh. And so their accents were really thick and it was kind of cool to get to talk with them. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that connection, um, with that group just because, you know, I don't expect them to be a part of the wisdom of Odin community. They didn't expect me to be a part of Austria UK. We just had a down, like a good conversation about the faith, two different groups, and it was great. And I think that's definitely uh, the way I want to see the faith moving forward is we, we shouldn't expect everyone to fall under one banner. We should just be respectful of each individual banner that people choose to fly. And I think I just really like that connection. So I, I enjoy this, this group. I enjoy, you know, the relationship I have with the people that wrote it. Um, and I'm enjoying, uh, hopefully, I think I'm going to enjoy the books I'm going to be reviewing as well. Um, so gentlemen, uh, we probably have time for one more round. Is there any other 
books you would recommend to people getting into the faith for the first time or for people that want to dive a little bit deeper? So for the uh, one in the last room where I was saying that I was stuck between two books, Belushka actually uh, recommended the, uh, the Wanderers Have Mon. That's what I was stuck between that and the, uh, the Saga of the Volsung by uh, Jackson Crawford. And it's really good i had never i've never actually seen another uh translation of it. i don't know how many there actually are uh or who else has translated the book but i really enjoyed it and it gives a lot of uh i'm not going to say it's like really good credible information because it's obviously um exaggerated in certain senses and things like that but i mean it's supposed to be a story about these about you know people that you can tell that were more than likely real and then how their legend and story and basically their myth just grew to this what it is in the in the saga of the whole sons you know all the all the all the extra magical and uh just crazy things that happen basically like the fighting the dragons and things like that for me this one was recently uh brought to my attention and it's a really interesting book. It's not so much for pagan, but it's called The Secret Languages of Birthdays. And it's a compilation of people who were born on a day of the year and a general summarization of their personality and how people share the same personality on the birthday. Because mine, like whenever uh, the, the person Kiwi in the Discord, we, we talked about it, uh, it mine fit me to a T. And I was like, what the heck? So I bought it digitally. Uh, do any of y'all want y'all's birthday read real quick? Sure. Go for June 30th. Let's see what happens. Okay. June 30th. Oh, that, I didn't know you were born on June 30th. Um, June, I'm June 30th. The exact midpoint of the year. I got, yeah. I got Christmas presents and birthday presents six months apart. It's awesome. <laughs> the day of the tangible presents. Zodiac position is Leo, like 6'8 Leo, season summer. Uh, you're Leo 1, fixed fire. Strengths, uh, sturdy and sensuous and decisive. Weakness, phobic, repressed, and earthbound. Those born on July 30th make their presence felt in a very physical June 30th, fashion. homie. Oh, wait, did I say July? Yeah, homie. <laughs> I am retarded. Uh, wait, where'd it go? Like, Jacob's not a Leo. Oh. I know he's, yeah, I'll he's, like, he's a, a crap person. Right? Well, yeah, he's a crap you know person. Like, you know, uh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. You are cancer. He said, it. he said earthbound, and I'm over here, like, when has this motherfucker been earthbound? I'm over here, like, <laughs> <laughs> like hovering in your room and shit. Dude, <laughs> that was my bad. I scrolled down too fast, uh, almost did it again. June 30th. Here we go. All right. So cancer, summer, your cancer one, element, cardinal water, strength, technically proficient, money-wise, and motivated. Weaknesses, moody, repressed, and negative. You just call me moody. We'll yes, I did. Shirt. Let's fight right now. <laughs> okay. I'm so, a moody, you're moody. Right. It is extremely difficult to get June 30th people to do something toward which they are not personally motivated. Those born on this day are usually of two types, introvert or extrovert, both of whom have highly personal goals. Their world is indeed a private one to which few are admitted. Most introverted June 30th people will often manifest a lifestyle in which they stick close to home, often working out of their own house. Their lives are so well uh, circumscribed that 
favor haunts are basically ally, just an extension of their home situation. Safe, secure, known, and more extroverted June 30th people may appear to be mild-mannered until they reveal themselves in a professional situation. Here, they must be careful that their flamboyance does not get out of control. Almost all June 30 people have a highly developed technical talent, even to the point of virtuosity. They may be they make formidable opponents rarely at a loss to defend themselves. This ability, however, is most often exclusive, either mental or physical. More introverted June 30th people must be aware of the tendency to repress their aggression. Often those born on this day are unable to express those feelings out of fear that they will injure themselves or someone else. A more extroverted June 30th person expresses... How much longer is this thing? I don't know. It's a bit. <laughs> <laughs> i think wow. we got the point sure i don't want five minutes of this podcast to be a reading on my birthday yeah dude, it's, dude mine was like very to the teeth no i mean i don't take much weight behind astrology signs to be fair um but at the same time i fit like waterside and the cancer way too well um so you know it's one of those things where i, I don't believe it but also i fit into that really well yeah yeah, it's, that one was really interesting to me. And so to bounce off of that, um, you know, because one of the things I was going to bring up is not to limit yourself to just books about Norse paganism is that you, you know, again, take the Odin route. Odin traveled the worlds looking for wisdom and knowledge. He would not limit himself to one subject matter. So I think it's really important to keep yourself a wide berth of information. Um, you know, and if you can't read, if you're not big into reading books, I also recommend documentaries, like watching well-researched documentaries, I think are a really good substitute. You know, like uh, Blade, we were talking about this the other day where you're just like, why do you have so much random knowledge about random things? And it's because I have random interests. You know, I like DeAntford South African death rap rave. And so therefore through that, I have also learned a lot about South Africa. So I have a weird amount of knowledge on South Africa and I've read several books about South Africa. And while those things may not directly influence my connection to the faith, they have helped enrich it at the same time. I agree, uh, especially with my documentary stuff. That's most of what I watch nowadays is uh, documentary. Uh, but uh, it's like, you know, earlier today I was talking with Keenan and we were talking about uh, different historical things. And I just got on a tangent about how a baby hippo will chew on a crocodile and the crocodile will not do anything about it because it's afraid of getting bodied by the mama hippo, which is a wildly, not, wildly weird knowledge I know. I just love the term bodied by a hippo. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, anyways, this is a podcast has taken a humongous tangent uh does anyone else have any pagan book recommendations for anybody <laughs> um so i got another book that I've, i mean i brought it up before um a few times i've recommended it to a lot of people and i know a lot of people who have read it um after my recommendation have enjoyed it greatly and this is for again more of your your deeper um knowledge seeking if you are looking into uh the Sather path, um, and that is, the book is simply titled uh, Sather, The Gate is Open by Katie Jared. Um, I've brought this book up a few times on the podcast, um, and honestly, it's it's a very good introductory book um, to the practice. It goes over stuff very, uh, it goes a little bit of a, a, I would say, you know, with a history of what we know from the sagas and the Poetic Edda, um, to a certain degree um and then you know it goes into the actual you know 
what they call it, rites or practices of rituals and stuff like that. Um, what you would basically use these things for. And it, it's just, it's very well written. It's very well structured, which I appreciate because I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a, a how to necessarily, but it kind of, if it was to be like, a, this is how you would do this specific thing. It is very, like the instructions are very well written out and, you know, it's not super extreme or, or, uh, you know, hard to follow. Um, but yeah, I, I highly recommend this book for anybody who is looking into say their practice and they don't really know where to go. Highly, highly recommend this book. Um, it's only about, it's not very big. It's about 196 pages and it's yeah it's it's easy read um it has a bunch of other uh recommended readings at the end of it as well if you're looking to go um further in like the saga of full songs is actually in there eagle saga is on there um saxo grammaticus is is recommended and some of those so like yeah and yeah uh germania is on there as well so it, it it's a good i think it's a good introductory book to a further deeper practice within the faith that I highly 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 recommend this pick up with a it's not really a book about orthopaganism or anything like that but I like to try to read about um different warrior cultures things like that and I really I kind of got into trying to find books about like shamanic warriors or yeah shamanic warriors the best way to look up and one that I ended up finding, which I've not been able to dive into too much, um, is this thing called, uh, and I cannot pronounce that right, I know I'm not going to, uh, Bodhisattva Warriors. Uh, it's a type of, yeah, Jacob, you might be able to read that. Bodhisattva. Yeah, but they are a kind of, uh, they're kind of like these uh, these Buddhist monks that have a, uh, a specific type of like philosophy and things like that. And they were um, apparently really, really awesome warriors um like i guess i've not been able to dive into it too much just because it's like a 400 page book <laughs> that goes over like 1500 or 2000 years worth of stuff in it um but when i have time to i try to i try to pop into that and i don't know increase my knowledge on those type of things yeah and that kind of falls into like the shamanism too is like a lot of times we don't have a lot of stuff on northern traditions when especially when it comes to these deeper subject matters like the warrior aspect or even like shamanism so you have to go to other world religions basically other world views to get this information mm -hmm. i mean most of the shaman books i have are actually not northern based um like there's the introduction to the like the shamanic journey by paul francis i think it is um and then i also have uh the uh, the misfilled path as well which are both uh the Paul Francis one is actually a non like denominational, I guess you would say it's not tied to any religion. It's just shamanic practice work. And then the misfilled path is specifically for Celtic um, shamanism. So it is interesting. Sometimes, you know, we have to go outside the Norse pagan realm to actually get the information we need to further our own personal practices. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea I had with this right here is just trying to see if there's what little bits of information that I can try to, I can try to like find the similarities between and try to see if it gives me a little bit more information about the Norse aspect of it. Any more last minute book recommendations? Oh, I was just going to make a comment on the spiritual warriors. When I think of the spiritual warrior, I think of like a samurai. Because Shintoism and like haiku and their spirituality and battle and prowess was very important to them in the feudal era. Yeah, I mean, um, 
one of my interests has always been, I mean, obviously Eastern philosophy, because I was into Buddhism for a while and I took a lot of classes on like uh, Shintoism and uh, like tea ceremonies, like teaism is a thing that people believe in the religion of tea. Um, and again, it's one of those things where it's just like, it doesn't necessarily directly help me, but it's one of those things that have enriched my experiences now, you know? Um, so as far as last minute book recommendations for myself, um, we haven't mentioned it, even though all three of us have a copy or all of us have a copy here, I think is beyond the North wind. Um, you know, I haven't talked about this in a, in a bit, um, but I'm actually about to go through and reread it, um, with, I think it's been since January since I, uh, since I read it <laughs> and, um, it, it is a really interesting and amazing book. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows anything much about Christopher McIntosh, um, but he has, quite a bit of books out there. I mean, about a wide range of subjects, but this is actually one of the only books he's written about religion, or at least about the Northern religions. Um, so he, he's a very credible author. And so he, uh, he's very, he did a lot of research for this book. And the fact that he got Hilmar Hilmerson um, from the Icelandic Ossetru group to write the foreword is pretty amazing considering Hilmar actually doesn't write any books. Um, so it's a very rare read to be able to read his words. Um, and to talk about the faith in more of a candid way. Um, and again, much like uh, Myths and Symbols in Pagan Europe, it gives a viewpoint of the religion um, that most people don't know. Um, and it, it does actually have some controversy because it does touch some pretty pretty heavy subject matter. Um, but at the same time, the, again, a large majority of the information in Beyond the North Wind is really good. And I really do think it's worth reading. There's something I want to add on to the, the, I guess, like the last bit of the conversation I had about uh, with well, I guess stuff we were talking about with the Eastern things. Um, and Sherrod mentioned uh, the art of like doing haikus. Uh, I got into that for a little while and I do, rec I do recommend it. Um, I ended up having, I need to get back into it because I've not done it in a while, but I had a lot of spiritual moments happen whenever I was sitting there and trying to write these, you know, these Japanese style poems about uh, aspects in the, in, you know, our faith, you know, the Northern Germanic, uh, Norse style of things. And you know, just wanted to add that in. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, let me see if I can actually. Yeah, that's one thing like that I introduced earlier to like the baker and a few other people is haikus because you're very limited on your word choice when it comes to writing a haiku, if you're familiar with poetry. And so to me, a lot of the times the emotion and message is more poetic because of the, the like syllable differences and stuff like that. So you can get really intimate with, with what you're trying to say in haiku. And that's why I like recommending the baker or anyone who meditates or does any kind of like spiritual work like that. If you really want some clarification on how, what you're feeling in a moment, try sitting down and writing a haiku about it. Yeah, I mean, something I, I mean, recommend in the video I edited today um, that'll come out when this, when this podcast comes out um, is just the importance of poetry in general. Uh, poetry is one of the most important aspects of this faith, and I think it's something that's getting lost in our modern era. Um, so, gentlemen, we actually need to wrap up this episode. So, um, yeah, we need to go ahead and do that. So, everyone, thank you so much. Blade, thank you for being on the show. Um, one last time, where can people find your work now? And um, yeah, just tell us the title and everything one more time. Uh, you can find it on Amazon under Tales of the North of the Old Gods and Their Ways uh, by Blade Kirkland. It's my name. <laughs>
Awesome. And once again, thank you for being on the show and thank you for everyone for joining us for this episode. Hope you were able to find some books maybe you haven't heard of before or just some ideas to get some books. But regardless, books are very important. They're not 100% of the faith, but they're a good part of it. So be sure to get out there, read more, watch some documentaries. I think it will really help you um, explore more in this faith. Um, but if you're interested in being on the Folk Podcast, please email us at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to talk about a subject matter or like us to talk about a subject matter, please let us know as well. Otherwise, thank you so very much for listening, and until the hall, skull. 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 <laughs>